0: I am Carly, recovered alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. This is episode 15, There is a Solution, part (coughs) 4. Excuse me, I still have a cough. So lucky you, you get to listen to that. We are on page 26. If you're going to join along with me, open up your book and get out your pen or pencil. If you're going to listen, I hope that something hits you. So he returned to this doctor. We're in the middle of the page whom he admired and asked him point-blank. I underlined why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems. I underlined, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. On the side, I wrote the word powerless. And I wrote mental obsession, physical allergy. Mental obsession, physical allergy. And then I wrote... Did you, question mark, to remind me and to ask that question of myself and of whoever I'm taking them through, did I have control when it came to alcohol? It says, he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was, I underlined, utterly hopeless and I kept underlining, he could never regain his position in society and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. I wrote down on the side, I was utterly hopeless. I felt that way. I remember doctors telling me that I belonged locked up. It says, that was a great physician's opinion. But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. I underline the next sentence. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Next to attitude, I wrote the steps. So they're saying, I can go anywhere on Earth as long as I'm willing to work the steps. On the top of 27, I wrote spiritual experience. And I wrote change in ideas and attitudes. Change in ideas and attitudes. So we have the same life. We see it differently, and we think about it differently. And we have a different attitude toward it, mostly based on perspective. <coughs> I underline the next sentence on 27. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. And I wrote next to that, do, do you? Question mark. I thought that I could do it without doing the work. When I got sober in AA, I found the people who said to me, Don't drink, go to meetings, keep coming back, it'll get better, 90 meetings in 90 days. You don't have to rush into the steps, let the steps rise to meet you. If you're not ready yet, put it on the shelf, let us love you until you can love yourself. Those people were way more attractive to me than people who said, if you want to get paid, you got to do the work. And the people that said, you need to sit down and do the steps, you need to focus on what's uncomfortable and walk through it. I did not go to the people who were doing the work until the people who told me I was going to be okay if I just kept coming back, until I started questioning them because I wasn't okay. I was more miserable than I've ever been, sober, coming back to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with no solution. I also wrote the number page 34 above that sentence because on page 34, we are going to find out who can do sobriety without spiritual help and who cannot. It says, let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. I bracketed the next little paragraph. The doctor said, and I underlined, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And if you're underlining in red, I underlined in red the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And above that, I wrote mental obsession. I I continue to underline. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. He is not talking about what he's drinking. He's talking about his thinking. I wrote on the side, real problem centers in the mind rather than the body. Real problem centers in the mind rather than the body. And it says, our friend felt as though, I underlined and read, the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called, I underlined, vital spiritual experiences. And I, in red, I underlined vital again. <clears throat> I wrote about the word vital life and death. And above spiritual experiences, I wrote change of mind. So they refer to the kind of change in our mind and our thinking as a life-and-death kind of change. I wrote on the side, We can't survive without vital spiritual experience. We can't survive without vital spiritual experience. Um, One of the people who I've always listened to leads my entire sobriety and I always hope to... And I get so much out of listening to other people's stories, especially people that are grounded in the book. And one of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous, who was very much into the, bu- into the book and the solution, said that we were, he was in the kind of trouble that ended in either death or sobriety. And I really related to that. It continues. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of, I underline, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Above emotional displacements, I wrote the word change. I then underlined ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And on the side, I wrote change. As a result of the 12 steps, this happened to me. The biggest change I've ever seen is I went from being a person obsessed with dying, wanting to die, wanting out, suicide being my only option, thinking about romantically how it was going to be better when I was out, to being a person obsessed with living and a person who's terrified of dying and a person who's terrified of missing out on life and a person who doesn't wanna waste these precious moments because I found a way through the steps to live a life that I wanna be a part of. And that's the biggest change I've had in sobriety. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such, I underline the words, emotional rearrangement and above rearrangement, I wrote change within you. So this is the doctor saying, look, we've heard of these cases What happens to these people is they appear to have a life and death change in the way they think. We don't know how to make it happen. He says, with many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And again, they're referring to the spiritual experience or spiritual awakening which we discussed. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary, I underlined again, vital spiritual experience. And again, I wrote next to that the word action. So we've got a life and death change, and this can only produce that we know by action. The first 100 men and women who wrote this book wrote out a plan of action, which are the 12 steps. And what their experience is, is as they follow the 12 steps, the way that they're laid out in the book, in the big book of The Alcoholics Anonymous, they changed. They changed sufficiently to become recovered and no longer have a mind or body that, that needed alcohol. That's also my experience. On the top of 28, here was a terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had, I underlined, The extraordinary experience which, we, which as we have already told you, made him a free man. Next to free man, I wrote, I am free today from the 12 steps. You don't have to write that if you don't agree with it. I wrote it because it's my truth. I am free today from the 12 steps. It doesn't mean I don't have problems. It doesn't mean I don't struggle. I do. I struggle every day. I get resentful and afraid and dishonest and selfish. I mess up. I make amends. I do my best. Today, I was sitting in a parking lot crying, doing an inventory. Um, life is life. But in the middle of all of the storm, I am free. I wrote on the side next to that underlined part about the extraordinary experience. I wrote, act like a dying person seeking help. Act like a dying person seeking help. So when someone throws me a life preserver, am I going to be drowning in the water complaining about the color or the throw? And that's what one of my sponsors means when they say to work with the willing. Because the willing will not complain when you offer them help. The willing will act like a dying person. I in the next sentence. We in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. So again, if the person you're working with is not desperate, maybe they're not done. I wrote on the side, work the 12 steps like a dying person grabs a life preserver. Work the 12 steps like a dying person grabs a life preserver. And my truth today is that 19 years of sobriety, I still do that. Because I am. Because if I don't keep working the 12 steps, I will be a dying person. It says, What seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, I underline the words, a design for living that really works. And that's what this is. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous does not say, don't drink and go to meetings. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, do this work, get better, get out there, carry the message, go help others in all of your affairs. It says, if you think sobriety is enough, you are unthinking. So I want to design for living, not existing, not hiding. I want to design for living. The distinguished American psychologist William James in his book Varieties of Religious Experience indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. We have no desire, that's the first 100 men and women, to convince anyone that there is only one way by which faith can be acquired. If what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. Those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There is no friction among us over such matters. The best advice I've ever been given is to stay out of it. Religious stuff, no one's business. My personal conception of God is my personal conception of God. One of the best kept secrets in AA is that we each get to believe whatever we want to believe. And that is no one's business. It's also not my business to stand around telling everybody what I believe, what they need to believe. I underline the next sentence, next two sentences. We think it no concern of ours what religious bodies our members identify themselves with as individuals. I wrote on the side, none of my business. One of my sponsors always says, there's two kinds of business, my business and none of my business. And almost nothing is my business. She says, the only thing that's my business is my behavior. That's it, just my behavior. And I still find that to be a very challenging task. The next sentence says, this should be an entirely personal affair which each one decides for himself. And my experience in my sobriety so far has been that my understanding and conception of my higher power changes and grows and evolves as needed. As life becomes life and as the games and the rules change, I need something different, or bigger, or faster, like the phone. It says, In the light of the past associations or his present choice, not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such memberships. In the following chapter, there appears an explanation of alcoholism, as we understand it. Then a chapter addressed the agnostics. Many who were once in this class are now among our members. Surprisingly enough, we find such convictions no great obstacle to a spiritual experience, So the big book of Al-Ghazanimas just said, so we know that there's people that don't believe in God or believe that they don't understand or they don't know or they don't have a relationship and they don't rely on God. We want you to know that's not going to be an obstacle for you changing everything in your life. The next um, paragraph says, further on, I underline, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. Couple things. Above clear-cut directions, I wrote, directions are in the book, in big letters. Directions are in the book. And then I wrote Best Kept Secret in AA. Best Kept Secret in AA. The two secrets to, for alcoholics are the directions are in this book and the way that we find our higher power isn't to climb a mountain or to go to a retreat or to run across a desert. It's to go within. All those things are awesome and can help me get closer in my 11th step to the kind of person I want to be in the higher, my higher power. But the last place... That God put God was inside of ourselves, and the last place that Alcoholics Anonymous put the directions was in this book. It's a, and I also circled the word recovered, because there it is again, oh my goodness. They're telling me that I can become recovered by the directions in this book. And I wrote on the side detailed, because in chapters 5 through 7 specifically, there are detailed instructions on how to recover. These, these are followed by 43 personal experiences. Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he establishes a relationship with God. This gives a fair, These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women, I underlined in red, desperately in need. Above it, I wrote, are you, question mark. We'll see these pages and we believe that it is only, I underline, by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems, they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too, I must have this thing. Underneath, yes, I am one of them too, I wrote real alcoholic. That's somebody who has a physical allergy and a mental obsession. I also wrote, have to share our experience. So I have to share my experience so someone knows what I really am and what happened. There's a bunch of things I wrote here. I wrote the word insanity, and I also wrote the other word, the opposite of that, sanity. And then I'm going to write something next to each one of them. Next to insanity, I wrote a mind less than whole. And next to sanity, I wrote wholeness of mind. Insanity is a mind less than whole. Next to sanity is wholeness of mind. And that's really simple here. Am I looking at my life, at this situation, with a full, whole mind? Am I able to see when I turn my head both ways all of the blind spots? Or can I? Or am I doing it less than whole so I don't have full range of motion? I also wrote down, without the vital experience, we cannot survive. Without the vital experience, we cannot survive. So chapter three which is the next chapter we're about to read, disproves what the fellowship focuses on, which is the first drink. They say, don't just, just don't take the first drink, and you can't get drunk. But that's not what we're focusing on in the next chapter. We're focusing on the mental obsession, and that's the real problem. So we're going to go to page 30. This is more about alcoholism. None of the examples in this chapter have worked the steps, so we're going to be reading about people who don't work the steps. I wrote a couple of things on the top here. I wrote, state of mind prior to first drink. So we're really gonna be focusing on the state of mind right before you pick up the first drink. And I wrote about the thought. So we're not talking about drinking, we're talking about thinking. And then I also wrote, we believe the lie. We believe the lie, and you're gonna hear me say that a lot because one of my sponsors, when he takes people through the book, through this chapter, shows how on every single page, we're believing the lie, we're believing the lie, we're believing the lie. If I just look back at my own drinking, I can see where I believe the lie. And if I look back at my own thinking in um, any area of my life that is unmanageable, I believe the lie. So I don't remember, I I do a lot of big books, so I don't remember who I've shared my turkey jerky problems with. But I have a lot of problems with food and things that I believe the lie that I'm able to eat when I know I'm not able to eat because I've proven that I'm not able to eat. And my most recent um, belief was that I could have turkey jerky even though every time I would have it, my stomach would hurt. First it was the beef jerky and that was clearly the problem. So I stopped eating beef jerky and I switched to turkey jerky. Then it was that it was processed poorly. So I started going to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and getting special jerky that was like without hormones and only had natural ingredients. And every time I ate it, I got sick. On my wedding this summer, I did not make um, a good plan to have food options for myself in our cabin, and the oh, literally there was nowhere to get food, and so we ended up at a sheets gas station, and here I am with my new groom, day one, and I'm in the snack aisle, and I have so many food restrictions, and he knows about all my stuff, and he does not know currently how bad... The turkey jerky situation has gotten. It's gotten so bad that the day before when I ran to the grocery store to get um, dinner for that night in Virginia, that I bought two more bags of turkey jerky, ate one in the grocery store, paid for it, and then threw it out so he didn't see it because I had mentioned to him that I was having a problem with it, and then bought another one to keep in my backpack in case I got really hungry. Um... The next day when I'm starving and I'm standing in Sheep's gas station and I see the turkey jerky aisle and I'm thinking to myself, Carly, you know that if you eat that you're gonna get sick. You know every time you eat that you're gonna get sick and my mind tells me the lie Yeah, but there's nothing else to eat. And if you don't eat anything, you're going to get really sick. And they have that brand, that really, really good brand that you drove around all last summer with your children on the road trip to find at all the other Sheets gas stations. That really, really good brand that's expensive. And that one doesn't have any hormones in it. And that one's not really very much processed. And so let's get that one. So I ordered. I got ordered. I grabbed two bags of that. And they had that yummy nut butter filled bars. So I grabbed two of those bars, those protein bars that I know I can't eat. And I went and got them and I sat in the car with my new husband and I'm so excited I get to eat and I'm like, and literally within an hour, I was like dying. Um, And then for the next five days, I was miserable pain. And I told all the girls I work with, you guys, I cannot have turkey jerky. I told my three children, I told my husband, you guys, I'm powerless over turkey jerky. And to this day, I haven't had any yet. But when I'm in a gas station or a grocery store, I walk by it and I look at it and I think, huh, I never had that brand before. And I wonder if I just had it like once a week. It wouldn't be so much for my system. And that's when my mind starts angling the truth to believe the lie that I can have it a little bit and I can control it. And that's what I do with alcohol. I would convince myself after getting really, really sick or in a lot of trouble that I was going to be able to do it differently, and that's what this chapter is about. So now you all know my dirty, dark secret. Um, Okay, so it says, I also wrote on the top of the page, reminding us our main problem is in our head. So the whole chapter is about the state of the mind before the first drink. It's about the thought, we believe a lie. It's reminding me that my main problem is in my head. And I wrote um, on the top of the page, the insanity of alcohol, remember we just defined insanity means a mind less than whole, is the thought that comes before the first drink. So the insanity of alcohol is the thought that comes before the first drink. It isn't the drink. The insanity is the belief in my mind that I can have the drink when every time I have it, I get sick. The insanity is when I stand in the gas station and I look at the turkey jerky, my mind tells me the lie that I've never had that brand or that this brand has less sugar than the other brand. Underneath the words more bad alcoholism, I wrote, explains mental obsession preceding physical craving. Underneath more bad alcoholism, I wrote, explains mental obsession preceding physical craving. So we're really going to be focusing on What comes before we activate the physical craving? I cannot physically crave alcohol physically when I don't have alcohol in my body and it's been more than three to seven days. But my mind wants it. And it's not a craving. It's an obsession. It's a thought. It says, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. I underline the real alcoholics. Again, they're talking about someone with a physical allergy and the mental obsession, and they're going to explain that again. No person likes to think he is, I underlined, bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Above bodily, I wrote physical allergy, and above mentally, I wrote mental obsession. So they just said real alcoholics, and then they defined it. Bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by, I underlined, countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. And I wrote next to that, did you try? And I saw other people taking the turkey jerky and I saw other people drinking. I did not see other people buying two of everything. And I did not see other people buying eight shots and lining them up and drinking them all by themselves. Or hiding things from other people. I was 18 and a half years sober hiding turkey jerky from my soon-to-be husband. Because I was scared he was going to say something to me because I had told him to say something to me if he sees me eating it again. Oh, my. Okay, the next part I underlined, the whole thing, which says, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. So I underlined all that. I bracketed it from the idea to the end of the paragraph. I wrote on the side, the lie. and I double underlined the words, the idea, and I wrote, the lie. So if you take the word idea and you replace it with the lie, it says, the lie that somehow, someday you will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession. I underlined the word obsession, and above it I wrote, in mind. The obsession is not in my body, it's in my mind, just like the lie of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion, I double underlined it, the word illusion, and above illusion, I wrote the lie in my mind. And then I underlined and red gates of insanity or death because that's what happens to someone who believes a lie like me. I wrote on the side, can't drink on the truth, drink on the lie. Can't drink on the truth, drink on the lie. So we cannot pick up a drink once we know the facts based on the truth. We... I can't go to a Sheets gas station or any gas station or a Whole Foods grocery store where everything's healthy and pick up turkey jerky and put it in my mouth based on the facts, the truth, which is it makes me sick. I would have to do it based on the lie that I could have it because it's a different kind or I've never had this kind or I'm just going to have one. I the next sentence, and I put a star next to it, and this is step one. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost cells that we were alcoholics. I wrote on the side, have you, question mark. So have you fully conceded to your innermost cell that you're a real alcoholic? And above, we learned, I wrote step one. Step one happens out there. We learn about the wording and the language and the understanding of step one in here by someone who knows how to explain the mental obsession, the physical allergy. But step one happens to me, with me, through me out there. I learn, I fully concede, I fully give in to my innermost self in my miserable existence out there. I know my truth by the time I get here Nobody comes to Alcoholics Anonymous because they have hope and they, with their own stuff. We come here because we're desperate and we hope this can help. This is the first step in recovery. I underline the next sentence. The delusion, which is a lie, which is in my mind, the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. So it needs to become clear to me. My truth needs to be I am not like other people. I have a body and a mind that cannot process alcohol. I have a body that cannot healthy process alcohol. I have a mind that believes it can. We alcoholics are men and women who have, I underlined, lost the ability to control our drinking. Above that I wrote, because of physical craving and mental obsession. So we lose the ability to control our drinking because we cannot control the amount we put in our body because of the allergy and we cannot stay stopped because of the mental obsession. We know, that's the first 100 men and women, that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that, I underlined, we were regaining control. Above regaining control I wrote the lie, which is what happened to me. My alcoholism was real tricky, and what it would do was I could prove to myself, or someone else, but mostly to myself, that I could go a certain allotted period of time without putting anything in my body. Once I passed that time period, it was game on, because I proved I could drink like other people, and that I can control my drinking, and I thought I was regaining control, and that I was okay. Once I went through that whole little period of proving to myself, it says, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And above demoralization, I wrote, to be thrown into confusion. So I believe the lie, I was in control, I picked up, I activated the physical allergy, and I can't stop drinking. I in the rest of the paragraph. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And that's all in red. Alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. I wrote on the side, doomed to an alcoholic death. Doomed to an alcoholic death. And then I wrote, entire chapter devoted to mental obsession. Entire chapter devoted to mental obsession. So the rest of the chapter, everything we're going to be reading about is going to be only talking about the mental obsession. We are at time. I want to thank you so much for your time. Please come back next week. We will be reading more about alcoholism and getting into the real problem. I hope you have an amazing week. It's your choice.